Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's time for Next Gen Friday. We are so excited about the future of our fellowship that we highlight the 40 and under pastors of CFM. We hope you are inspired by the deep bench of pastors and leaders coming up around the world. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's open up to the book of Zechariah. The prophets, it's toward the end of the Old Testament. One of the minor prophets, Zechariah. Zechariah tonight. And uh, I'm going to just jump right into the text tonight. And then I want to go kind of take a step back and give a context for this, for what's going on in our text. Um, So we're going to read Zechariah 4, 1 through 10. The Word of God says this. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and I spoke to the angel who talked to me, uh, saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. So he answered me and said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands also shall finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm asking your anointing on it. God, that you help us enlighten our hearts, our spirits. God, speak to us and help us to understand and to know and to trust that all we do for you is done by the power of your spirit and not by our own strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to give you a little bit of context for this verse because uh, just by itself, this portion of scripture is a little bit confusing. You're like, what in the world? Who's the angel? Who's Zechariah? Who's Zerubbabel? What are they even talking about? Anybody lost so far? All right, we got to get lost before we can get found. Praise God. (laughs) And so the historical context of what's going on in our text tonight is that Israel was called by God to be his special people. They were rebellious, however, and didn't obey God. And so uh, God said, listen, what's going to happen is your enemies, the Babylonians, are going to come. They're going to attack Jerusalem. They're going to tear it down. They're going to tear your temple down. And they're going to take you captive to Babylon for 70 years. And so for those of you that have been to Iraq, uh, maybe you went to all the way to um, uh, 
Baghdad. That's Babylon, essentially, right there. And so here uh, the king of Babel comes, attacks Jerusalem, takes all of the Jews uh, prisoner, returns to Babylon, and they're there for 70 years. Now what's interesting is that there was a prophecy given while they're there, and it said, it said that uh, God had some hope for his people, that he hadn't given up on his people just yet. How many know that's good news? Anybody ever blown it and you're like, oh man, it feels like it's all over. Well, I got good news for you. God doesn't just cut you off after the first mess up. He's willing to help you and work with you, but you have to meet some of his requirements. You have to turn back to him. Amen. Anyway, so God sends out a prophecy and he says, there's going to be a king. His name will be Cyrus. He's not even born yet. But this man is going to, uh, what he's going to do is I'm going to put it in his heart to return the people of Israel back to Jerusalem. Not only that, but he's going to finance the rebuilding of the temple that has been destroyed by the Babylonians. And my name will be glorified in all of this. Praise God. So when the time was completed, here Cyrus has become the king of Persia. And in 2 Chronicles 36, we find at the very end of the book of 2 Chronicles and into the beginning of Ezra, uh, we see this. Basically, it says the same thing. And this is what it says. 2 Chronicles 36, 22 through 23. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the, Lord, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled... The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. And he also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May the Lord his God be with him. And let him go up. In other words, he's saying, listen, uh, so we've got all these uh, Jewish people. There are slaves. There are captives. But the time has come. God says it's time for them to go back to Jerusalem. And we need to build them a temple. We're going to build a temple to the Lord so that they can worship the living God. And so uh, Cyrus begins to do this. About seven months go by from the time that he declared this, decreed this. About seven months go by, and they arrive in Jerusalem, the Israelites, the Jews. So they're in Jerusalem, and the first thing they did was a very good step. They built an altar there, and they began to sacrifice and worship God. They didn't even have the temple yet, right? It was kind of like open-air services for church, right? They, just, they didn't have a building yet, but they had the most important thing. They had the altar where they could meet with God. Amen. So they established that. What's very interesting, I don't know if you know this, but they, uh, in 1800s, they actually found one of these decrees that Cyrus wrote out and sent out through his kingdom. He wrote several of them, it, it appears, and, and sent them to different groups of peoples to uh, gather the Jews back in. They actually found one of these. It's a cylinder. It's made of stone, and it was scribed there. And when they deciphered it, they discovered it's, it's like what the Bible says. Very interesting. Anyway, so that's just a little bit of history for you. Um, so they're back in, the Jews are back in Israel, and they built the, the, the altar, 
But it wasn't for another two years until they began work on the actual temple itself. Zerubbabel, who we heard of in our text, the Bible says in our text, verse uh, 6, uh, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, right? That, this same Zerubbabel, he was put in charge of the building project to rebuild the temple. So he's a Jewish man, and, and they say, Zerubbabel, uh, you're, you're in charge. You have to uh, follow all, the, all of Moses' um, commands and, and all of the description of how to build the temple. That's for you to sort out and put everybody to work. So this took some time. And, uh, and then the day they, they broke dirt, if you will, on, um, or broke ground on the work of the temple was a huge celebration. Now think about this with me, if you will. Imagine our nation gets invaded by enemy forces and we're the survivors of us are taken captive to a far land. And we're not allowed to go to church. We're not allowed to worship God there. Um, And then God says, after 70 years, many of us wouldn't even be around anymore, but our children would be. Right. After 70 years, God says, "Okay, you're going back home and you're going to not only you're going to go back home, but you're going to be able to take back what belongs to what I already gave to you, right? So you'd be able to take everything back. And so this was a huge moment when they began to build that temple. They celebrated and they sang and they feasted. In Ezra 3, we see a little bit of this. Verse 10 says this, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. It would have been a song service like no other. Amen. And, uh, and so according to the ordinance of, the day, of David, the king of Israel, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So now they're in it there man we got back to our land we got back home finally we're reestablishing things we're worshiping god the way we were supposed to be now we're going to build the temple we're building and we're working on the temple and what do you think happened anybody ever notice when you start to try to do things right that certain things start to happen you start to try and live for god and and certain things start to happen god helps you amen he gives you some instant dominion, some instant deliverance. Remember, I first got saved. Man, God supernaturally delivered my filthy Marine Corps mouth from all the cursing and swearing that I'd been so accustomed to. I was so, I was so used to it, I couldn't even stop it in reality, right? Boom. But then, after a little while, I began to receive resistance. People started to mock me. Oh, you're the 13th apostle, are you? Woo. I'm like... I don't know what that is, but I mean, I guess, sure, I don't know. Jesus saved me. That's all I knew. I didn't realize that there's a real enemy who hates us as God's children, and he doesn't want us to advance. He doesn't want us to obey God. He doesn't want our lives to change. How many with me? You ever, anybody here experienced that? Some pushback when you go to start obeying God? Well, that's what happened with the Jews as they're building the temple. First off, uh, some of their cousins from, I guess you could say, from nearby, they come and they're like, hey, uh, we want to join with, we want to help. Let us build a temple too. 
But what they had in mind was bringing their perverse religious practices and joining them to the true worship of the one living God. That's what they had in mind. Well, praise God. What the prophet of God said to them, no, you're not getting with us. So what did they do? They got upset. They got upset and they started to come against them. And so they began to resist them. They began to threaten them. They uh, wrote letters and sent them out throughout the kingdom. And uh, they, they sent him back to the king of Babylon, who is now, uh, he was a different man. It wasn't Cyrus anymore. Now it's Darius. And so they say, hey, there's these people in Jerusalem that Cyrus let go. And they're planning a revolt. They're planning to be, uh, they're planning to, to rebel against you. Worst of all, they're not even going to pay taxes. Now, how many know taxes are near and dear to any governor, anybody in the government, their heart, right? Because that's where they get their pay from. That's their, that's their paycheck is your taxes, right? So Darius gets all upset, sends a, a command. He says, listen, if you, you stop right now or I'm going to kill you all. And so they go armed and go against Israel. And they're like, okay, they stopped the, they stopped the building of the temple. And that was pretty discouraging. That was very uh, disheartening. Anybody ever been really excited about something, maybe a new venture, uh, in, in, uh, in business or whatever, or maybe you get into ministry and you're all excited and all of a sudden it's like all hell comes against you and says, if you take one more step, I'm going to kill you. Mm. I'll kill your kids. I'll destroy your marriage. I'll come against you and ruin you, right? You get threatened by your boss. You go to that, or, or sometimes, matter of fact, just recently I was talking, dealing with an issue where young person got saved, parents are not on board. They don't like it. Very interesting. They're concerned, you know, while the kid's doing all this bad stuff. Oh, we need something to change. Jesus comes along, changes them. The reason they're changing, they want to be in church. Man, I want to be in church because Jesus is changing me. No, 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 no. We like the change. We like you being cleaned up, but you're not going to live for God. Hindrance, resistance, stop the work, don't advance. You better stay right there. Don't go any further. Right? Well, so they've been stopped. They've been hindered. They're discouraged. It looks like this temple is never going to be built. It's never going to be finished. They're never going to actually receive the promise that God gave them. That's right where our text picks up. And this is where Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, he's seeking God and God sends an angel and sends a message to him. And he says, he says, listen, Zechariah, basically to summarize our text, we're going to go back through it and look at a couple verses. But basically to summarize our text, the angel comes to Zechariah, he says, listen, listen, I'm, I'm going to be with you. You're going to see, you're going to see the power of God, but it's not going to be by your effort. It's not going to be by power or might. It's not going to be, you're not going to wage war against these people and win against them and then be able to do, no, no, no. My spirit is the only way you're going to be able to finish the work that I've called you to do. How many can say amen? amen. Is God talking tonight? This is his word to us this evening. I love that song we sing. Not by might, not by power, by my spirit, says the Lord. We will fight, we will conquer, we shall stand. Amen. 
And so this is what's going on. And he says, listen to this, listen to what he says. Verse 6 of our text, uh, Zechariah 4, 6. He answered and he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. In other words, God's going to remove the hindrance. Amen? You'll become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone. What is that? He's talking about the the last stone of the temple. In other words, he's going to finish the work. He's going to bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands shall also finish it. Amen. Wow. By the power of the Spirit of God. So let's take a look. And a couple things. I want to look first at human might and power. I want to look secondly at God's might and power. And then third, we're going to look at by God's spirit. And we're going to pray tonight and God's going to help us. How many are with me? Amen. So human might and power, we know that we're limited, aren't we? Our power and our might is always corrupted, right? It's limited to our own uh, efforts, to our own abilities. Ecclesiastes 4, 1 talks about this. And Solomon writes, he says, I considered all the oppression that continually occurs on the earth. And this is what I saw. The oppressed were in tears, but no one was comforting them. No one delivers them from the power of their oppressors. So oftentimes what we see in in man's power is that man uses his power to oppress others. Very interesting, right? To shut them down. We don't want to hear what you have to say. You need to be subject to us. Silence your mouth and especially don't do what God wants you to do. We are essentially what humans always do with the corrupt with a corrupt uh, with corrupt power. Humans always try to set themselves up as God. Amen. This is what's going on in our nation right now. If you hadn't noticed, our government thinks it's God. It's not God. If it wasn't for God, they would have no authority. How many are with me? Amen? That doesn't mean we take up arms and, and attack the White House tomorrow or something. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? So just the YouTube gods, just so you know. We pray for them. Amen? We pray for them. That's way more powerful than assaulting some business or building, I mean. Right? Anyway... So human power is corrupted. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in in all the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh, that's pretty wicked. It's pretty dark. And when you put somebody like that in, in a position of power and they have power over other people, it's a nightmare. How many with me? This is what we see going on in history. We've seen things like this. Uh, actually take place, places like China, Russia, Cambodia was recently there, the killing fields of Cambodia. They massacred almost 3 million people in just uh, about four years. Why? Because of the corrupt power of man. Man's power is always infused with pride and ego. Nebuchadnezzar, this was the king of Babylon when they went into uh, captivity in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was a guy who was such a he had such a huge ego. Uh, he put his name on every brick in the buildings of Babylon. <laughs> I am the man. 
And as he's walking through his palace and he's admiring all of his, his great deeds and feats, he's, he's talking about, he's boasting about all this. And God says, you know what? I'm going to humble you. And he turned him into, a, basically turned him into a beast. He lived like that for a long time until he came to himself and he's like, you know what? God's greater than I am. Praise God. Why? Because human power is limited, isn't it? It's limited. Thank God, honestly, because how many, come on now, how many of you ever thought, man, it's a good thing I'm not God? Because that person that just did that to me in traffic right now, (laughs) lightning. (laughs) Oh, I don't know what happened. Sorry about that. (laughs) Have to get somebody to fill the pothole there now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, no, we get, we get weary, don't we? Even when we're trying to do good, people get weary. Weary in well-doing. You know, why, you know why Galatians tells us to not grow weary in well-doing? Because we do grow weary in well-doing. So he says, don't do it. Don't, don't forget, right? Make sure that God is strengthening you. Isaiah 40, verse 30, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Psalm 33, 13, the Lord looks from heaven, and he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works, but no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by, a great, by great strength. And a horse's vain hope for safety, neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. And so what we see is that all of our strength, all of our might, all of our power, none of it is good enough. None of it is enough to do God's will and God's work. And that's exactly why a lot of people don't do God's will. Because they're trying to do it in their own strength. They're trying to do it in their own way. Trying to do it in their own will. And then they wonder why I'm, I'm struggling with all these besetting sins and why I keep falling into the same thing. Well, it's because you're doing it on your own strength. This was something we saw a lot in Argentina where uh, guys, um, it was very common that they would say this. Uh, it's, they're in and out of church all the time, right? Some of, these peop- some of these guys in particular. And they would always say the same thing. They'd come back to church and they're wanting to start. And man, I'm going to live for God. And I got to be strong. That's what they always would say. And I would always tell them, you will never be strong enough. And they'd look at me like, oh, how dare you? <laughs> like, that's exactly why you continue to fall. Because you're trusting in yourself. And your strength and your power is never going to be enough. You will never overcome even one sin with all your strength and all your might. If you've dedicated your entire life to overcoming one single sin, you never could do it in your own strength. How many are with me? This is the truth. Because sin is, has, is more powerful than us. And when you give it to your room, whoever commits sin is what Jesus said? A slave to sin. And so this is why we need God's might and God's power. This is what our text tells us. Verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God's power. How many know God's power is first of all pure? He doesn't have ulterior motives. He's never corrupt in his power. He's never seeking to just take advantage of people and and milk them for all that they're worth so he can just get what he wants out of them. 
his desires, you know what God's real desires are? You want to boil it down to two phrases? First phrase, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. That's really at the root, you boil it all the way down to the most basic uh, element. This is what God wants to empower us to do. To love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. Imagine if we just all did that all the time. If everybody in the world just did that all the time, could you imagine what this place would be like? It would be heaven is what it would be. That's exactly what it would be. It would be heaven. God's power is pure. God's power is unlimited. He says, he specifies, verse 7, I am the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. What is that talking about? He's talking about the Lord. Another translation might say the Lord of armies or of heavenly hosts. The heavenly armies. He's God over all spiritual powers, over all powers on earth, all of creation. He's the Lord over all of it. And so his, his power really is unlimited. How many know if the one that spoke creation into existence, uh, if, if, he, if we're talking about his power, there's nothing he can't do except for sin. He can't sin because he's perfect. Amen. He's, he's sinless. God's power thirdly, comes on behalf of God's people who are doing God's work. This is very important. This is very important because that's exactly what all of us need. We, God, help us. We want to do God's will. How many want to do God's will? How many want to live clean? You don't want to live with regrets where you, you lay down at night and your conscience is nagging at you. You remember what that was like before you got saved? Conscience is just eating away Hey, remember what you said to so-and-so? Hey, remember the time you did that? Hey, remember the time you ripped that person off and you hurt that other person and you lied to them and you did this and you did it? I remember what that was like. It's been 21 years, but I remember that, man. That's a miserable way to try and go to sleep at night. No wonder people drink themselves to sleep at night. Last night we were at the, on, the, on base, we're at the barracks, and this young guy comes through. Couldn't have been more than 21, maybe at the most. And, uh, hey, why don't you join us for Bible study? No, I got alcohol in my room. I'm going to go drink. What was he doing? He's trying to drown his conscience so that he can sleep, so he can deal with life. It's a miserable way to live, isn't it? It's a miserable existence. But when God's power comes on God's people, it, come because, it comes because God, you're doing God's work. Amen. God's power moves mountains. Our text, uh, he, tells, um, he tells him, he says, listen, who are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. In other words, all of the resistance, all of the opposition, everything that's hindering and that's stopping the, word, the work of God, even King Darius, Darius and all of his power can't stand before God. And so Zerubbabel, it's coming. It's coming. You might not be doing everything you, you, you want to be doing right now. You're not seeing everything you want to see just yet. But listen, I've already promised you, you're going to build the temple. You're going to finish the work. God's power is coming, and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it possible. Jesus spoke about this in a, a very similar um, uh, principle. Mark 11, verse 22 says that Jesus answered. He said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, 
Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about doing God's will, right? He's not talking about uh, making the Blue Ridge Mountains disappear, okay? Take them and throw them into, into the ocean. Fill up uh, topsail with them. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about anything that hinders God's will in your life. When you pray, when you lay hold of God and you have confidence that it's going to be as you said, God, this thing is hindering your will in my life. This, this thing is keeping me from fulfilling the destiny in your calling in my life. This is not acceptable. This has to go in Jesus' name. What does Jesus promise? You ask that believing and it will be done for you. Hallelujah. Amen. Man, that's great news. That is great news. Especially if you're here tonight, you're trying to do right and you're struggling through and you're not seeing the advances that you know you need. You're kind of stuck. You're kind of hindered. Jesus says, that's going to move. It's going to move. Why? If you're really wanting to do God's will and you speak to, you speak to that mountain in Jesus' name, it's going to move. Amen? It's by God's Spirit. It's not by your own will. It's not by your own strength. It's not by our own wisdom or our own understanding. It's only by God's Spirit. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so God's purposes will be fulfilled in the earth through his called men. This is a wonderful promise. You know, if God's promised you something, you need, to, you need to believe him for that. If he's called you to something that's beyond yourself and you say, there's no way I could do that, well, praise God. Because you're right. You can't do that unless God helps you. Amen. I touched on this the other night. And uh, actually, somebody talked to me. A uh, young, young man talked to me. He says, man, Pastor, I'm, I'm so terrified of doing God's will. I'm so terrified of making a wrong decision or, you know, I don't, I don't want to mess this up. I said, well, that's a good fear to have. That's a healthy fear to have. But you have to keep it healthy because that can be, when that kind of fear gets out of balance, you'll just par- get paralyzed and you won't do anything and then you miss it, right? So submit that to God and have all confidence. If God called you to it, he's going to enable you to do it. He really will. That's what he will. That's what he'll do. Here we have in our text, and in this story, better said, in this story, we have all these people, kingdoms, nations, authorities, armies even, are resisting Zerubbabel. But God comes to him and he says, listen, Zechariah, I want you to go to Zerubbabel and I want you to tell him, I'm going to come through for him. And I'm going to move these things out of the way. And he's going to fulfill, he's going to finish the work. He's going to accomplish the will of God. God doesn't accomplish his work through worldly force, but by his spirit working in and through men and women of God. Hallelujah. I want to go back to what Jesus said. We're going to close and pray. Back to Mark 11. Jesus is speaking to his disciples 
And he says, have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And listen to this. Listen to this, because I think this is very important, what Jesus says here, because sometimes... mm, many times, maybe even most times, what's hindering your destiny is a person. Or Satan through a person, maybe better said, right? Because how many know if we, if we think flesh and blood is our enemy, we're already defeated? You, that person, your, your mother-in-law is not the reason you're not going to be able to fulfill God's will. <laughs> your wife, your husband, your kids, your pastor, your whoever. Are you listening tonight? You hear me tonight? Listen, who is greater than the Holy Spirit, than God? Who? Nobody. Not a single person. But if, but if I'm holding something against them and I'm so focused on them that I won't let them go so I can do God's will, how many know that can hold me back? That mountain won't come down unless I deal with it. This is why Jesus says right here, he, he ties these thoughts together. He says, if you have faith and you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. But listen to what else he says. And, what does and mean? It means along with that truth comes this truth. You can't separate them. It's like a truck and trailer. If you're going to work and you lose your trailer, it's got all your tools in it, you're not going to be able to do your work. Right? Now have them hooked together. This is what Jesus says. Verse 25, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Wow. So what is he saying? We get our hearts right, and we believe God, and we take him at his word, his promises. There's nothing can stand in our way. Why? Because God's power, God's spirit will partnership with us to fulfill God's will. And this happens. God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his promise that not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, it was true for Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel finished the work. Amen? He finished the work. They restored the temple. And that temple stood all the way from his time until uh, uh, after Jesus' death. Amen? Well, whatever God's called you to do, you'll do it by God's spirit, by God's power. You align yourself with his will, forgive, let it go, trust in God. He'll bring it to pass. Amen. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Let's let's bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment, if you would, please.